Father, we're so grateful for the word that you've given us, this, this holy Bible that uh, is, is your voice speaking to us throughout eternity. And uh, you just tell us so many things, Lord. You tell us how to live in prosperity and you tell us how to live in adversity. Uh, Lord, there's some people that teach that we won't face adversity, but I don't know what Bible they're reading because as we come to this text in 1 Peter today, that's what it's all about. It's about the adversity that, that we face in a hostile society, Lord, that comes against you and against your word. And, and um, you give us these great exhortations here for a reason. Uh, in the United States, Lord, we've been so blessed that, that uh, we, so far uh, we haven't faced much persecution, but we see these clouds uh, coming up on the horizon that look pretty dark, Lord, that, that seem to indicate that, that we very well in the near future might be facing some kind of persecution. And so, Lord, I just ask you to, to show us what you would teach us today. And, and even in those times, Lord, we, as we're going to see in this text, we can be so encouraged. And, and you're a God, uh, a faithful creator, as your word says, a God who is with us, you know us, you keep us, you protect us, and no matter what we go through, Lord, no matter where you send us, uh, we can uh, be sure that uh, in the end we're going to be blessed. And that's, that's the lesson, Lord, and help us to see that today by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask that in Christ's name, amen. I don't know if you read the news very often or watch the news on television, but if you do, you can't help but see that there is a wave of persecution coming across the United States today, unprecedented in our history. It's something we've never seen before. I mean, we have been blessed as a nation. We have been free to speak the word in, in the marketplace, in our homes, uh, in the public square, in our churches. But this wave of persecution uh, has the intention, I believe, of relegating the church to this building. In other words, what they want you to do or want us to do is to come into this building and, and if we want to, you know, talk about Jesus, that's fine, but don't, don't take Jesus outside those doors. And if we make a stand and we decide that we are going to stand for truth and we are going to stand for the Lord outside of these doors... Let me tell you where we're heading in this country. We're heading to a time of persecution. A time where your job might be threatened. Maybe even your life might be threatened if you stand for the Lord. Now you can go out there and tell everybody I, I believe in God and I, I go to church at Calvary Chapel and, and I read the Bible. You can sell that. But let me tell you what you don't do in this society. You do not name the name of Jesus Christ. If you name the name of Jesus Christ, you will be persecuted. And so the question I want to ask you today is this. When we're faced with persecution, are we going to stand for what is right and stand for the Lord or are we going to sell out like Judas did for 30 pieces of silver? That's where we're heading in this country. Just to give you a few examples, when Hobby Lobby CEO and founder David Green was 
told by the Justice Department that his company had to offer medical benefits for abortion and also offer the RU486 or whatever it is, abortion pill, he made the stand and said, I will shut this company down before I do that. A billion dollar company. He said, I'll shut the whole thing down before I'll do that. And he took it to the court system and he won. He took a stand and he took it to the court system and he won in the Supreme Court. A few weeks ago, another example, and all of you are familiar with what I'm about to tell you, the Obama administration issued a directive to all public schools and colleges that they were to provide transgender students with access uh, to suitable bathroom facilities based upon their chosen gender, whatever that gender was for the day, you know, whatever that gender was for the week or whatever that they had chosen their gender to be for their life, they were to be given access to that particular bathroom. And if they didn't, you talk about persecution, if they didn't adhere to that directive, then they would lose their federal funding. You know, I've heard a few people stand up and speak out against that directive. Jerry Bulkin, I don't know if y'all know Lieutenant, or you've heard of Lieutenant General Jerry Bulkin, the one who founded Delta Force. He stood up and said this. He said, if a man comes into the bathroom with my daughter, he's not going to have to worry about getting surgery. He got fired from the college he worked at, Hampton Sydney College, for making those remarks. But guess what? A lot of people said, I'm withdrawing my kids out of the school if you fire him. And a lot of the alumni stood up and said, I'm withdrawing my contributions to this school if you fire him. And so they conveniently reinstated him last week. But look at Kurt Schilling. Kurt Schilling made some similar remarks, and he lost his job at ESPN, and he's not going to get reinstated. I can tell you that right now. Because not anybody, you know, none of us are going to cut off our ESPN, you know, to, to, for the, to make that happen. If every Christian in this country cut off ESPN, Kurt Schilling would get reinstated. You know, and the good news about this, you're seeing some people stand up to these things. You're seeing some states stand up to it. The governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, listen to what he said. President Obama, in the dark of night, without consulting Congress, without consulting educators, without consulting parents, decides to issue an executive order forcing his transgender views on schools and parents who truly don't want it. And his lieutenant governor said something even stronger. Listen to what he said, Dan Patrick. He came out and he said, if this directive stands... It is at the end of public schools as we know it. He says homeschooling and private Christian schools will boom because people will pull their children out of public schools. And he went on to say, Obama says he's going to withhold funding if we do not adhere to this policy. And listen to what he says. Well, Texas says to him, keep your 30 pieces of silver. We will not yield to the blackmail from the President of the United States. 
Back in 2012, let me give you another example. The CEO of Chick-fil-A, Dan Caffey, came out and said that he believed that marriage was between a man and woman, and he, didn't, he wasn't out attacking homosexuals, but he believed that marriage was between a man and a woman, and uh, uh, so he believed in traditional marriage. And he was vilified in the press for that. And I mean, the press got all over it, and they thought, man, they had this wave of, of uh, support, and so they... Every, they calling for this boycott on Chick-fil-A. Well, you know what? You went to a Chick-fil-A during that time, you couldn't get in. The lines were, were wrapped around the building. But Dan Caffey later on said, a, a couple of years later said, you know, I've changed my mind on this. I don't want the hassle. I'm staying out of this. If, he says, you know, actually I think maybe I, I, I would even support homosexual marriage. Let me tell you where that got him. Last week, or the week before last, the mayor of New York called for a boycott on Chick-fil-A in New York City. And you know his reasons were, he said, you know, they play Christian music in that place, and they're a bunch of hate mongers. Hate mongers. Now let me ask you, playing Christian music and believing that marriage is between a man and a woman and believing that men should go into men's bathroom and women should go in women's bathroom, does that make you a hate monger? But do you understand the way the left sees the church now? They see us as hate mongers. Now, now I, in some ways, they've got some reason for that. Because let me tell you what, what I'm saying here is not an attack on homosexuals. That's not the problem. What the problem is, is when a society says, we determine what's good and we determine what's evil. If smoking marijuana is good and, 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 and adultery is good and we think it's good, we don't care what the Bible says. We're going to call it good. And we're going to pass our laws. And, we're gonna, and you know, a lot of those same people call themselves Christians. And we're going we're gonna to make, we're, we don't care what this Bible says, we're going to determine what's good and we're going to determine what's evil. And when you stand for what's good in the face of a society like that, you're going to face persecution. Now, it's not bad yet, but you just see these storm clouds brewing and I believe it's going to get worse and worse before it gets better. So in today's text, if you turn, we'll be over to 1 Peter. These poor guys were kind of like us. They had become Christians. They were minding their own business. Everything in life was going good for them. I mean, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue comes Nero, becomes emperor, and he initiates maybe the greatest persecution ever against the church. And so... They're like, man, what's going on here? God, we love you. How can you allow us to go through times like this? I mean, these, these were really rough times. And you talk about persecution. Listen to Roman, the Roman historian Tacitus' description of some, a part of this persecution coming from Nero. 
He says, this is what Nero did. He says, before killing Christians, Nero used them to amuse people. Some were dressed in furs and killed by dogs. Others were crucified. Still others were set on fire early in the night and used as torches to illuminate Nero's festivals. Christians were not being killed for the common good of Rome, but rather to satisfy the cruelty of one person. You know, it was in that persecution that Nero initiated that uh, church tradition says that was the time when Peter and Paul were killed. And Peter was crucified upside down and Paul was beheaded. So it was a, it was a pretty rough time. And that's the time he was, he was speaking to as we come to 1 Peter uh, chapter number four, the last part of chapter number four. Here were these believers, and, and, and all of a sudden, this persecution comes upon them, and, and they begin to even question their, their faith. And so Peter says to them, look at verse, chapter number four, first Peter, in verse number 12. Listen to what he says. He says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. In other words, don't be surprised when you fall into all sorts of various trials. God hasn't forsaken you. You're still his beloved. You know, I used to, it took me a long time to get out of this, but for a long time I thought, man, when things went good, God loved me. When things went bad, he hated me. You ever, you ever go through that? It's still just sometimes I think, man, Lord, do you hate well, You just hate me? Why, why does this happen to me? Do you hate me? No, God, we are always God's beloved. If you're a child of God, you are his beloved. And, and, and no matter what you, you face, uh, you, God is with you, and God loves you. And the devil wants us to doubt that. You know, for me, that's one of the grave dangers of the prosperity gospel. This gospel teach, that teaches that you're always supposed to be healthy and wealthy. And if you're not healthy and wealthy, it's because you lack faith. Well, let me tell you what. Whoever believes in the prosperity gospel, at some point that's going to be tested. Because they're not going to be healthy. And they're not going to be wealthy. The guys that preach it will stay wealthy. Because they, they, they get tickle people's ears and they send them a lot of money. But, but they won't always stay healthy. And those people that are sending the money won't always stay wealthy. And they always won't stay healthy. And when those tough times come, I'm going to tell you, if that's what you believe, the devil is going to have a heyday in your mind. I mean, he's going to make you think that you're not saved, that God has abandoned you. God hasn't abandoned you. For the Christian, listen to me very carefully. There are going to be times of prosperity, and there are also going to be times of adversity. That's what the Bible teaches. You know what Solomon has to say about that in Ecclesiastes? God has appointed them both. God is in charge of them both. When you've got a bad time coming at you, that's coming through the Lord. God's appointed that. Sometimes to discipline you, sometimes to grow you. He always has a purpose. And I got news for you. He's not always going to tell you that purpose. You know, I'm prepared ahead for the message. I was prepared ahead for the message Wednesday night in Ecclesiastes. And, 
And one of the things that Solomon says after he says God has appointed both adversity and prosperity for the man of God or the, or the woman of God, he says so that we don't know what's going to happen next. In other words, we don't have God figured out. I keep thinking I've got God figured out. I think thinking this is what's going to happen next because this is what happened to David or this is what happened to Abraham. Well, look at what happened to Zechariah. He got sawed in half or Jeremiah got sawed in half. One of the two did. I mean, you read the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 and you read about the hall of faith and there's all these guys that great things happened and all their dreams were fulfilled and there are others that, that their dreams weren't fulfilled. Their life was cut short before their dreams were fulfilled. You, know, you can't figure God out. I mean, the truth about God is in the Bible and the truth about God is that his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts and he's always doing things differently. You cannot box God in. And so you're going to have times of prosperity. But that doesn't mean that God loves you more than he does when you have times of adversity. When you face persecution, God's in that persecution. And he's got reasons for that persecution. You know, I tr I'm always trying to figure God out, and I ask myself, why is God allowing this to happen in the United States of America? Why in the last 20 years have we slid down this, this slick pole into, into evil? Why has this happened to our country? God, you can stop this. He's got reasons for it happening. He's got good reasons for it. One of the reasons is we're moving toward the end. We're moving toward the return of his son. He's preparing us for that. So don't be surprised when, you know, when, when a fiery trial comes your way. Doesn't mean you're not beloved. You are. As though some strange things happen to you, you've been forewarned. Bad things are coming your way sooner or later. They're coming your way, I promise you. But rejoice, verse 13 to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. You know, that's why persecution is really a blessing in disguise. Because it gives us an opportunity to take, partake in Christ's sufferings. You think maybe he was persecuted? You better believe he was persecuted. Not only does society try to shame him now, they have always tried to shame him. When he walked this earth, they tried to shame him. They were always shaming him. Look what the Romans did to him. They pushed that crown of thorns on his head. They, they gambled for his garments and laughed at him as he hung on that cross. Look at what Herod did to him. You think maybe he wanted to shame him? I mean, he put a purple robe around him and gave him a scepter and he walked around and they sped on him and beat on him. You think they wanted to shame him? I mean, you think the Jews wanted to shame him? Think about the night when he was brought before Caiaphas and they pulled his beard and they put a, put a hood over his head and they hit him and asked him to prophesy, who hit you, who hit you, who hit you? And Caiaphas said, after they had beaten him almost to a pub, Caiaphas said to him, are you the Christ, the son of the living God? And I'm sure he laughed with a smirk on his face. You look like the Christ. Look at you. You're nothing. What did Jesus say? He said, hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power, coming in the clouds of heaven, like Clint Eastwood, make my day. 
I'm coming back. You're shaming me now, but I'm coming back. One day he's coming back, not in shame. He will never be shamed again. And the world wants us to be ashamed of the name of Jesus Christ. Shame on us when we're ashamed of Jesus Christ. When we're ashamed of the name of the man, the God, the creator who died for us. Shame on us when we don't stand up for him. Rejoice when you are persecuted to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. And if you do that, when His glory is revealed, you will be glad with exceeding joy. Jesus Christ is not coming back in shame. He is coming back in glory. And we have an opportunity now to partake of His sufferings, to name the name of Jesus Christ in the face of a, of a, a society that hates Jesus Christ. And we can name the name of Jesus Christ and we can stand up for truth and we can stand up for Jesus Christ and when, we, when he comes back, we will share in his glory. When we see him, we will be like him. That's an opportunity. That, we should seize that opportunity. Not be ashamed of our Lord. Verse number 14. Listen to what he says. But if you are reproached for the name of Christ, Blessed are you. Here's why you're blessed. For the spirit, spirit of glory of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he's blasphemed. On the part of those people who persecute you, they blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ. But on your part, he is glorified. You catch that? If you're... Reproach. That means if you're verbally assaulted or physically assaulted or verbally abused because of the name of Jesus Christ. Notice what he says. He, he says back in, in uh, well, where did he say it? Did I miss it? No, in this verse. He says, if you reproach for the name of Christ. Let me tell you what. You won't be reproached for the name of God. You can say God as long as you believe in the God that society believes in, which is a God that leaves them alone, which is a God who loves everybody and allows anything, and we determine what God believes is right or wrong. And he changes according to Well, I don't want to name any names. One of the big religious leaders in this world, that's exactly what he said. God is constantly changing what he believes about truth and what, about what is good and what is evil. Man, what kind of God is that? What kind of God is that? But you, you, you can talk about that God all you want in society. You can talk, you know what? If you want to not be persecuted right now in society, put a rag on your head. And worship Allah because all of a sudden, all of these liberals that support Allah, you know what's going to happen to them if he ever, if, if the Muslims ever take control? You know what they do to homosexuals? They take them on buildings. I saw a video the other day on Jihad Watch 
They were taking these people and they were throwing them off a five-story building and a big crowd was running around. They had like 10 of them, homosexuals. One after the other, throwing them off the building. You could hear them crash on the ground. And if they were still moving, they'd go shoot them in the head. That's the God they serve. I don't serve that God. He says, he says if you're reproached for the name of Christ, that, that's the name that's going to get you persecuted. You are blessed. Now watch this. Because the Spirit of God rests upon you. Man, hey, when, when you're persecuted, get ready, you're going to be blessed. And let me tell you how you're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed with the greatest blessing you could possibly be blessed with. And that is the Spirit of God. The very presence of God, the very Shekinah glory of God is going to come upon you. I've had a few cases in my life where, where I've been put in a position where or mild persecution at, at worst, but where I could sense the very presence of God. I could sense the power of God. I could sense the anointing of God to say what I needed to say in that situation. And if you allow yourself, if you name the name of Christ, if you stand for what's true, at some point you're going to be put in those situations. And when you're put in those situations, if you'll stand tall for Christ, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to experience the very presence of God. In the book, Jesus Freaks, the story is told of Thomas Hawker, who was burned at the stake in 1555 in England because of his evangelical beliefs. I don't know if you've ever heard of Thomas Hawker, but a great reformer. Well, the night before he died, his friends came to him. They allowed his friends to come talk to him, his Christian friends to come talk to him the night before he died. And one of his friends said, Thomas, will you do me one favor? Thomas says, you know, I'm not really in the position to do many favors right now, but what is it? He said, you can do this favor for me. He said, I read in 1 Peter that when we're persecuted, that the Spirit of God rests upon, upon us. That there's this very special presence of God. And I ask you to do one thing tomorrow when you're being burned at the stake. If you sense the very presence of God, if the pain is not unbearable, if, you, if, if God is protecting you even through the fire, then lift up your hand. Just lift up your hands and we'll know that what we have heard about Christ and what we read in the Bible is true. And so the next day, they tied Thomas Hawker to the stake, and they lit the fire, and the fire began to encompass his body, and his flesh began to burn off his body, and the ends of his fingers began to burn off, and right before he was about to die, he lifted up his hands to heaven, and he clapped what was left of his hands three times. And his Christian friends shouted and praised God. They had had their answer. God was there in the fire. Hey, the hotter the trial, the hotter the persecution, the more you'll sense the very presence of God. 
And look at the last part of verse number 14, what he says there. He says, on their part, he has blasphemed. When people persecute you, it's not you they're attacking. They are attacking God. And not God, just God. They're attacking Jesus Christ, the God. That's who they're attacking. And they're blaspheming him by attacking you. But when you stand tall in the face of persecution and you refuse to sell out, you glorify Jesus Christ. See, when we have those opportunities, they're blaspheming God and then we turn around and we glorify God. I I go back to the case of of, uh, uh, Hobby Lobby founder David Green who said in in the face of persecution... I'll shut this company down as to hand out abortion pills and, and, and uh, pay for abortions. You know, this is not about abortion. But he took his stand, give him credit. And they're saying they were wanting him to do something evil and he refused to do what he saw in his eyes as evil. And he glorified God. Who looked stupid in all of that when it was all done? Those people who were prosecuting him. The government looks stupid. You stand for God and you glorify the Lord. In verses 15 and 16. Now here's a very valid point. Because I know a lot of people who think they're suffering for Jesus when they're really not. They're suffering for their own misdeeds. This is what he says, and that's where he's going to head in the rest of the text. He says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, or an evildoer, or as a busybody in, the people's, in, in other people's matters, a gossip, a slanderer. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. So when we suffer because we're being persecuted, when we suffer because maybe we're sick and yet we glorify God, we don't get mad at God, we honor God through our illness, through whatever trial. We glorify God when we honor God through trials, when we stand tall with God through trials. But when we go through suffering because of our own evil ways, that doesn't honor God. It doesn't necessarily dishonor God, but it doesn't honor God. You know, i got to say, I'm ashamed to say that most of the suffering that I've endured in my life is self-inflicted. It's come because of my bad temper, my quick tongue, because I got involved in things I shouldn't have got involved in. I was a busybody. It might come, some of it's come because of some bad health habits. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I went to the dentist. The dentist said, uh, you need to go get a root canal. So I went to go get the root canal, sat in that chair with all that junk all over me and dug in there enough to find out root canal's not going to work. You got to go back to your dentist and get the tooth extracted. So I went back to the dentist this week and got the tooth extracted. I was sitting in that chair And I was thinking, I'm not suffering for Jesus. 
I'm suffering for all that candy I ate when I was a kid. The suffering that glorifies God is the suffering that we endure when we take a stand for Jesus Christ. That's the suffering that glorifies God. Verse number 17, and right along this line, if you're a Christian and you're suffering for evil, look out. Because for time, the time has come for judgment to begin at the White House. Now, where's judgment begin? At the house of God. Before we go throwing any stones, we need to look at ourselves. And guess who God looks at first? He looks at us. He's a lot more concerned with disciplining us than he is disciplining this nation. I can tell you that right now. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? So if we refuse to take a stand for Jesus Christ and we just become part of this world and we blaspheme Jesus Christ by our evil behavior, guess what? Judgment begins with the house of God. God never takes his eye off his children to bless them and to discipline them. You can call that curse them However, you we're dealing with semantics. Some, I've heard pastors say God doesn't punish his children, doesn't, he doesn't curse his children, but let me tell you something. You can call it what you want. Let's be sweet about it. We'll call it discipline, but it sure seems like a curse to me sometimes. I don't know about you. Because judgment begins with the house of God. I mean, look at Israel. Israel was a nation who was given... Special privilege by God. They were the apple of God's eye. They still are the apple of God's eye. They were his children. The children of Israel is what they are called. And they looked around at all the pagan nations that were around them, and they said, man, look at all the fun things they're doing. They were really things that were destroying them, but they looked like fun to them. And they said, look, they're, they're doing all of these things, and they're enjoying prosperity. So guess what we'll do? We'll do the same thing. And we'll even worship some of their gods to boot. What happened to Israel? They were destroyed. They were destroyed. They were scattered. They were, they were disciplined and scattered. They weren't utterly destroyed. They were cursed. And so God treats us the same way. Look, just because people are getting away with things in the United States of America, you... you you see, have some of your friends getting away with things. You better not get go there. Let me tell you what I, I have people say, well, I know a Christian that does this, 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 this. I say, whoa, you know, you better be sure that guy's a Christian. Because I kind of wonder about that. I, I, I don't even wonder about it if they're getting away with it. Because if they're getting away with it, if you're, if you, listen, if you're here today and you can do all sorts of evil and get away with it, then you're not a child of God. Because I don't know about y'all, but as soon as I get a little bit out of line, the belt comes off. And God disciplines me. I mean, I get just a little bit out of a line, and he's, he's spanking me right back into where I'm supposed to be. And if he lets you go off to wherever you want to go and do whatever you want to do with the rest of the pagans, then 
then uh, there's something wrong with your relationship with God. Because the judgment begins with the house of God. And if it begins with us, what happens to those people who persecute us? I mean, how bad are they going to have it? If you've got it bad, how bad are they going to have it? Those nations that God used to destroy Israel, they weren't just scattered, they were utterly destroyed. And that's what's going to, that's what this pagan world is facing if they don't turn to Jesus Christ. Then verse number 18, he says, Now if the righteous is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly sinner appear? Let me answer that question for you. At the great white throne judgment seat. We looked at that a few weeks ago. You want to read about it, turn to the book of Revelation. You're going to go down there with the devil. Once you've been tried and convicted and you're already convicted, I can tell you you're already convicted because when Jesus came to this earth, do you remember what he said? I did not come into the world to condemn the world. The world is condemned already. I came that I might save the world. Those who will believe in me, I'll pull them out of that hell fire that they're heading for. But if you don't want to believe in Jesus Christ, then let me tell you where you're going to appear. You're going to appear at the white throne judgment seat you're going to die, you're going to go to Hades, then you're going to go to the white throne judgment seat after the millennium, and then you're going to go to hell. Well, I don't believe in hell. I don't care if you believe in hell. That doesn't change that there's a hell. The Bible says that the devil will be thrown in the lake of fire, and there he will face everlasting torment. And after the great white throne judgment seat, those who don't believe in Christ will be thrown into the lake of fire and face everlasting torment. Everlasting. So if we're scarcely saved, where are they going to appear? Well, Pastor, you know, that just doesn't sound like a loving God to me. You know, a loving, you mean to tell me that a loving God would send somebody to hell? Let me tell you what I believe about this. The more I've read the word, the more I've come to know the Lord. The wonder isn't that God would send anybody to hell. The wonder is that he would save anybody for heaven. Man, I am scarcely saved. Let me tell you, I'm saved by, not by my works, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm saved through faith in Jesus Christ, and I am scarcely saved. If Jesus removed his spirit from me today, if Jesus left me on my own today, I would head right back to hell. That's where I would head, and that's where you would head too. You are scarcely saved. We have nothing to boast in. We're barely saved. We're getting in there. We're getting in there by the eye, of the space of an eye of a needle. That's how we're getting in there, and only God can do that. Men can't put a camel through the eye of a needle, but God can. He can get us there, and He will. He says, therefore. He says, therefore, let those who suffer, according to the will of God, commit their souls to Him in doing good as a faithful creator. I love the names for God in the Bible. And you know one of the best names for God in the Bible is faithful creator. Faithful creator. 
Commit yourself to God. No matter how bad the trials are, no matter how fiery the trial is, commit yourself to God as your faithful creator. Who created everything? All things were created by him, for him, and through him, the Bible says. Jesus Christ is your, your creator. He created you. The one who died for you created you. You think maybe when times get tough, we can't just turn it over to him? You think maybe he knows a little bit more about us than we know about ourselves? He created us from dust. He knows your mind. He knows your soul. He knows your body better than you'll ever know. Any doctor or any psychologist or any counselor, he knows those things. He knows you. And we're to commit ourselves to him as our faithful creator. And we're no longer are we to suffer for evil, we're to suffer for good so that we can glorify God. And, and then we know we're in the will of God. You want to know how you're in the will of God? I can tell you how you know you're in the will of God. You're for sure in the will of God when you're naming the name of Jesus Christ in a lost society and you're being persecuted. You're in the will of God. You're partaking in the sufferings of Christ and you are glorifying God. And never, ever should you be ashamed for that. Well, you should see that as a blessing. Because the glory of God rests upon you when you do that. We're out doing our thing. We're out doing our evil things. There's no glory of God resting upon us. But when we suffer according to the will of God as to a faithful creator, then we can find joy and peace in the very presence of God. I tell you what, the more difficult the trial, I've experienced this in the last year, the more difficult the trial, the more you sense the presence of God. You're a child of God. The more you honor God through your trial, the more you sense the presence of God. I'm not one of these, I heard a pastor one time pray for his church that they would go through some really terrible trials. Man, I wouldn't pray that on anybody. I hope we don't have, I hope we all live in prosperity and the adversity really doesn't happen. But you know what? That would be the exception and not the rule. On January the 19th of 1991, a group of M-19 terrorists in Bogota, Colombia, broke into the residence of SLU and kidnapped Wycliffe Bible translator Chet Betterman. They left a note behind, and this was what the note read. It says, unless everyone associated with the Summer Institute of Linguistics leaves Colombia by February the 19th, Mr. Bitterman will be executed. In other words, you get Wycliffe out of here. Here's what's kind of strange. M-19 was a communist group, a political group. But who did they attack? Who did they attack? The church? You know, I see this guy, Bernie Sanders, and I'm not being political here. If you're voting for Bernie Sanders, sorry, I'm sorry. 
I want to say that's fine, but it's really not. He's a communist. He's an avowed socialist. He believes God needs to be totally out of the public fray. He believes you and I are hate mongers. And let me tell you what, when people like that get into power, you know who they go after first? The church. You know why? Because it is demonic. And the devil hates Jesus Christ. And he'll do anything he can to persecute the church. We live in scary times. Guy like that gets in power. Man, you think you, we see persecution. You, just, you, just, you wouldn't imagine what would happen if, some, if socialists took over this country. But anyway, they, these, this M19 communist group comes in and they kidnap Chet Betterman and they leave this note. And for 48 days, his wife and two toddler children, young children, prayed for their dad. Please, Lord, get my dad released and bring him home. On March the 5th, the terrorist shot Bitterman in the heart and left his body on a bus in Bogota. What happens next? Here are 100 Whitcliffe translators, all facing the same fate. Whitcliffe sent a letter to the translator, sent some people out there and said, look, any of you that want to go somewhere else where it's safer, we'll send you there. We'll pay for you to move and you'll have a job in another area. Not one single translator flinched. All 100 of the translators stayed in Bogota. And 200 Whitcliffe translators in other parts of the world applied for Chet Bitterman's job, knowing what had happened to him. Where do people get the courage to risk their lives for the kingdom of God and not to sell out? Where do they get that courage? Let me tell you where they get it. They get it from a faithful creator. They know that he's faithful. They knew that he was faithful to Chet Betterman. They knew that if God took Chet Betterman, God had purposes in taking Chet Betterman. And they knew that if they were taken out, God would have purposes in taking them out. And they stood tall for the Lord. And not only that, I believe they had a special, I probably still do, a special sense of the very presence of God, a sense of his protection, a sense that in whatever trial they might go to, go through, it will be for their good. You know, you and I are probably not going to be burned at the stake. You and I are probably not going to be shot by a terrorist. I mean, I don't, maybe not. You know, the only persecution you might ever face is one day you're with a group of your friends and they 
are mocking the Bible and mocking Jesus Christ and you just kind of tuck your tail and run. Or you decide I'm going to stand up for the Lord. And I'm going to say, please don't say that about my Lord. He died for me. He died for you. Please don't say that. I mean, there's all sorts of opportunities. It doesn't have to be a, some major martyrdom where we get our chances to honor God. It could be in the workplace. It could be in the home. I mean, there's all sorts of opportunities. You, you go out there, name the name of Jesus Christ, and see what happens. But don't back off. Stand tall, and I promise you'll never be ashamed if you don't sell out for 30 pieces of silver. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. It's a difficult word for difficult times, Lord, that we live in. But Lord, what a privilege and what, what an honor to serve you. What a what an opportunity we have in this dark world to name your name, the name above every name, in the public arena where we operate, Lord. So I just ask that we sense that very special presence of your spirit on our life and that we never back down, we never sell out, and that in all we do and say, we glorify Jesus Christ. Lord, we just thank you for your grace. We thank you for, for the times of prosperity as well as the times of adversity. We just thank you for all you're doing in our lives through your son. It's in his blessed name that I pray. Amen.